The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On this week's show, new cars designed by artificial intelligence, hydrogen-powered big rigs, and special guest, race promoter and general manager of Montgomery Motor Speedway, Stan Narrison. All that and a whole bunch more informed of automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim DePasquale, a poster to the stars. Hey, Bud, how are you? I'm doing great. You doing all right? Yeah, doing fine. What would you think is one of the, and well, this is just casual observation, uh-huh. one of the toughest jobs that you see being done day to day, and we're all involved in being part of this service. You know, we all eat lunch at some point in time. Oh, breakfast, yeah. Eating, running a restaurant. Running a restaurant. Yeah. Second hardest job. Uh, running a racetrack. Well, I would think so. In, yeah. in this day and age, trying to run a short track, mm-hmm. uh, because the short tracks have dried up uh, because of NASCAR seems to race every day of the week on the weekends. Right. So you can stay home and watch a NASCAR race. Why go to the short track? Mm-hmm. And I really miss, like, Lanier National Speedway, which our, our guest that we're going to have on later used to run. That guest would be Stan Narrison. So here's a guy that's had a restaurant. And he's still plugging away at the race car business, and it's a very interesting interview. Oh, right. We're, we're going to have great fun with it. Tim, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Now that we've had the founders, designers, machinists, catalog writers, and brothers Randy and Kevin Red on this podcast from Concept One Pulley Systems, do you think people will start to understand what goes into every system they design? Right, it- Wow, so much, so much work that they have to do to get this right. So much in research, and they've got the links with the OEMs, so they know about power steering pressures and things like that. Um, you know, Concept One designs and builds fit. The finish, the components, the instructions have all been thought out way before you receive their pulley kits. And if you have a special situation, Tim, what can you do? Well, you give them a call and you can actually talk to them. Yeah, you're not calling a vendor and being told you have to talk to the manufacturer. They are the manufacturer. Right. Pick up the phone and talk to the folks who can work you through your project. Check out all their products and videos at c1pulleysystems.com. Don't waste your time anywhere else. Artificial intelligence. Do you want to go to artificial intelligence? And uh, tell me a little bit about this, Tim. Well, you know, bud... Uh, I'm all for artificial intelligence. I have seen some of the ugliest cars. I, you know how I feel about modern cars. They're all ugly. Okay. So I'd like to see some artificial intelligence bring us out of the doldrums of automotive design. Did you have any idea that we spend $3 billion a year on a single design? And that brought us the Aztec <laughs> you know, well, I mean, what can I tell on. you? What can I tell what you? Are you guys smoking? Well, you're the one who lives on the farm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying. So they're saying that people buy car based cars based on aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Styling makes the difference. Right. Uh, you agree with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because as they point out, uh, the Aztec 
was built on the same platform as the Buick. What was it? There was a Buick SUV. Okay. Back then? Huh. The, I do it, not remember. But the Rendezvous. The Rendezvous. The You're right. Rendezvous. Yeah. Right. So they sold a heck of a lot more Rendezvous than they did Aztecs, and they quit making the Aztec yeah, after they say it, and they say it generally earned high customer satisfaction uh, scores, aside from being ugly. Aside from being ugly. <laughs> well, I dated a girl like that in high school. Well, <laughs> well, the Aztec flopped. Uh, profile noted that the vehicle had an intentionally aggressive in-your-face design mm-hmm. and wasn't for everyone. It was just ugly. Okay, don't, don't sugarcoat I, it. <laughs> so what they're doing now is they're taking this, and remember we talked about concept uh, cars on another uh, episode here, yeah. and they're taking input from people, mm-hmm. and then they take all of this stuff and put it in a new a manifesto. Is that the term we use? Okay, yeah, we can and use the, that, yeah. Then they use the hieroglyphics or whatever that's called in A1. Mm-hmm. And, uh, AI. AI, but what do they call it when they have a... Uh, they have a computer program. Yeah. I'll think of the word uh-huh. in a moment. I'm you're, sure you you're, will. you're worse at this than I would. <laughs> Trying to think of what's that call, what that's called. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, they put it into a computer model. An yeah. algorithm. Thank you. And it figures it all out for mm-hmm. us. But it's amazing. Well, um, I haven't seen any of the AI designs yet. We you have. Know, you and, just didn't know it. And there's a difference between funky and ugly. You know, it can be funky looking and people will like it. I'm almost afraid to ask. Go ahead. Well, like the What's well, funky? Let's just say let's just say the the Mini Cooper or the uh uh what is that little uh the the soul, the Kia, the Kia soul. soul. Yeah. I mean these are funky, the Nissan Juke. They're popular vehicles because they've got just enough funk to them, and that's what we're hoping that AI will develop. What's the difference? Because they oh yes, they are ugly. But they're kind of a ugly like a puppy. Okay. Yeah, you know, like an ugly puppy that everyone wants to hug. You know? Oh, you're so ugly. You're cute. All, All right. right. I, I, this is not making any sense. We to do you, not l- need to leave you around the maternity ward of any <laughs> of any hospitals. I can tell you that. Oh, wasn't that the juke? Wasn't ugly. the juke the one that had the ugly headlights? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what yeah. was that Chrysler they made where they flipped the grill and put the headlights? In the middle of the grill and the parking lights up on top of LeBaron or something like that. I don't know. Remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, um, LeBaron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of looked like a milk truck in the front. But a lot of the new stuff now that you're seeing is done by these algorithms, not hieroglyphics. Well, we would love to just have something that had a little unique vibe. And can we paint something, a, a color besides silver or gold? You know, Watch it. I got a silver truck. I know. That's what I'm talking about. I, I would just, anything with metallic. I don't like these flat paint jobs. Oh, They're, see, I like flat paint jobs. Well, yeah, all yours are you tried to make shiny turned out flat. She said, well, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's my favorite. I right. dated a girl like that in high school, too. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. Let's move on. Remember, the uh, yes. the views expressed here are not necessarily those of, oh, yeah. goodness gracious. Uh, who? Did you know, with all this stuff that's going on with the diesels in California, that Toyota can turn a diesel semi into a hydrogen-powered big rig, and it's going on now? Once again, Toyota is at the forefront of the technology that actually works. Well, they started on this stuff in, like, 2017, and the sale of diesel trucks powered on, you know, is, is on track to be banned in California in 2036. 
following right. the passage of new regulations in the state California Air Resources Board CARB. I think it would be a good time to uh, open up a bicycle store in California. No, it's part of the state's Advanced Clean Fleets program, which aims to make its entire trucking industry zero emission by 2045. Good luck. Well, with these, they're building these things now. Yeah, they're Volvo right. Freightliner and uh, right. Nicola are developing fuel cell powered trucks right now mm-hmm. and you can also buy a crate fuel cell if you will that you can put into any brand of truck or you know they these uh fuel cells crate fuel cells they actually will go into smaller vehicles as well they have different ones yeah uh and they they are also still working with a, a hydrogen internal combustion engine for their cars because mm-hmm. as we mentioned before on this program uh, Toyota's only got one electric vehicle. Right. I know everybody, first thing you think of is the Prius. Well, that's a hybrid. Yeah. But the electric vehicle itself, Toyota's only got one. Mm-hmm. So they're not uh, they're not diving they're, into this head first. No, they're not. Thank God. Well, final specifications and pricing have not been announced, but truck builder Pekar, Pekar? Pekar. Pekar, are announced on Tuesday that it will be, begin manufacturing Kenworth T680s and Peterbilt 579 tractors using the technology starting next year. Okay. So that's pretty cool. What, what is that uh, company that takes uh, rigs and puts older drivetrains in them before the Blue Def? We oh, did. you mean the glider kit? The Fitzgerald. Glider Fitzgerald yeah. gliders. I, I, I wonder, wonder if they can do that. They're going to jump into this. Yeah, why not? You know, why not? Right. And that that circumvents the whole thing with the Blue Def and all mm-hmm. that. If they would just come up with something that's reliable and has some decent power, everybody would jump on it. Well, that's your homework. Okay. Find out what this this kit is going to cost. All right. So we can put one in your Mack truck. Okay. I can see. Now you're talking. See? Yeah. And you can go over 16 miles an hour and not, you know. I don't know if I need to go any faster than that. (laughs) I forgot the rest of the truck. Yeah. (laughs) There's more to it than just that. Well, I, I, I was just thinking. That, okay. That would be very interesting. Yeah, it would. Meanwhile, Chevy Bolt is biting the dust. Do you want to go through this yes, real quick? Yes, well, they have, uh, Chevrolet has decided to end production of the Chevy Bolt at the end of 2023 because the new electric vehicles that uh, GM is building use a different technology, so it's outdated, which brings up the question, what is the residual value of any of these electric vehicles going to be if the technology is going to render them worthless at the end of their, you know, five year or however long you're paying? Well, for. before it's paid for. Mm-hmm. You know, right? How are you going to be able to get the battery? You know, I saw right. a, uh, I saw an invoice for replacing a battery in a vehicle, and it was twenty six thousand dollars. Wow. And the car was not worth $26,000. And so what happens when you just bought one of these whatever electric vehicle it might be, and then two weeks later they announce that they're going to end production of it, and where does that leave you on residual? Well, it leaves you to drive the wheels off of it and just kiss it goodbye because, right. you know, right. you're not going to be able to, to flip it or anything. And is that what we're headed towards where we're just continually buying the newest technology and continually having that payment just so that we can stay Chevy up Chevy had it both ways or General Motors had it both ways uh, with the Chevy Volt mm, oh yeah you know, exactly hybrid, you know exactly I don't, I don't know why they changed smartphones yeah I, I don't get it 
And I, I was talking to somebody about why don't they take the Ultium platform, just shorten it up and stick the body on it. And there's got to be a reason they can't or they won't. Right. They might be coming out with a tracks or something that's got the Ultium platform. Mm-hmm. Because that's a cool vehicle. We're oh, going to be yeah, talking about that on it another is. show. But uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's going to kill the, va- the value of some of these vehicles. Right. So, I, yeah, I don't know where that's going to leave us. Okay, Tim, let me ask you a quick question about the guys who work for you. How many of them uh, have kids? Uh, don't even look at me. I mean, how many of them have to have <laughs> child care for their kids? Have young kids? Yeah, all of them. All of them, really? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, child care is a big part of our society now. Yeah, it is. Because uh, both folks got to work. They have got a program at Lanier Technical College, the Early Childhood Care and Education Program. It's a whole. It's a sequence of courses designed to provide students for careers in child care um, programs. Wow, that's a great idea. Well, it is because you're, they're, they're way more than babysitting programs mm-hmm. anymore. You know, and the, I've seen the program. When I was working at the Oakwood campus, the program was actually located uh, just down the hall from us. We had criminal justice on one side and child care on the other side. There's probably a story in that. But you can get an early childhood care and education degree. You can get diploma level, early childhood care and education diploma, and a certificate level in child development specialist certificate, early childhood care and education basics, you know, learning your ABCs and things like that. That's what they need to be doing, you know, in child care when they get to the, the right age of that. And infant and toddler child care specialist. Mm-hmm. So it covers the gamut of things. It's offered at three of the campuses of Lanier Technical College. And it's a, it's a great way to get an education for something that is really relevant to everyday life oh, for yeah. so many folks. Right. And, uh, you know, the better trained the people are at the daycare center, the better you feel about all of it. Mm-hmm. So check out that and all the programs uh, that are in the public safety professional services and professional service and all of the programs in public safety and professional services and much much more at lanier technical college LanierTech.edu. well our next guest used to be a race promoter right here in gainesville georgia at lanier raceway lanier international raceway i guess it was called um i remember it as a dirt track going to a paved track and I remember meeting him, working with him. He was a great supporter of the program at Lanier Technical College, a motorsports program. And uh, we've just had a lot of fun times together. Uh, Mr. Stan Narrison, racetrack promoter, hardest working guy in short track racing. Welcome into Bud's Garage Overdrive. Hey, Stan. How are you? How's that? How are you guys doing today? We're doing fantastic. Man, what, it's, just, it's just great to be here. And uh, thank you for taking time out of your day to sit down and talk to oh, me. Oh, this is, this is good fun. You have been, I, I'm not kidding when I say the hardest working uh, promoter in short track. I see you everywhere. Everybody's track. Every, every place that's racing, you show up doing something, and uh, you're having fun doing it. Uh, you're like the Energizer bunny. Yeah, well, I've, I've got a sickness. It's called <laughs> stock car racing, and, and uh, I, I've, I haven't found a way to um, get rid of it, so I just embrace it and uh, you know, try to go to as many races as I can. The other, the other thing we found in this business is, boy, it sure is tough to get folks to come out to the racetrack. And, and I want to, I want to say this: if you're, if you have a local racetrack around you and you want to volunteer or you want to go out and do some things out there, I'm sure they'd love to talk to you. And um, 
you know, it's a great way to get into the sport if folks want to do it. But yeah, I, you know, I, I do everything from Speed Fest to the Snowball Derby and try to help out my other promoters. And you'll see, you know, just like when we do our, our big races, you'll see those guys helping us out at our track too. So, Well, Stan, for folks that don't know, now I'm supposed to ask you how it all started for you, but before we go there, while we're on the subject of getting people to the racetrack, uh, there's a lot of folks that just see a vehicle, a pickup truck pulling a trailer with a, some sort of a race car on it are there classes or is this just everybody brings what you got and you just get out there and race or is there uh some kind of method to this madness of class racing and you go to a certain track for a certain type of race with a particular kind of car yeah oh there definitely um uh you know is a each car is individual to what it what it does very little bleed over there so mm-hmm. um when you see a car going down the road you know it, it might be it might look like a uh, asphalt street stock but you kind of notice that his fenders are cut way out and there's a bunch of mud all over it mm-hmm. well that's probably uh you know a, a street stock but on a dirt track so you'll see some cars that are close and similar, and then some are just very purpose. You know, you'll see a, an asphalt late model doesn't look anything like a, a dirt late model. And, um, but, you know, each of them has their, their own set of rules, and, you know, the guys build their cars as close to the rules as they can. They look for a lot of gray area <laughs> at times. Um, it, it, it definitely makes it interesting, but... Um, you know, you'll see that going down the road, and it's interesting because you you asked kind of two questions there. How did I get involved? And the way I got involved is I looked up one day and saw a car coming down, a truck coming down the road with this weird-looking car with wheels or tires that were bigger than they should have been and a wing on top. And I was 12 years old, Southern California, and... I saw another one come by and I thought, man, this is, this is cool. I got to see where these guys are going. So I was on my bike and I followed them and I ended up at Ascot Speedway. And I didn't have any money to get in. I've actually had to apologize to AJ Agajinian over this. <laughs> I snuck into my first race. Okay. okay, I went to the pit gate, and they told me I couldn't come in, so I found a place in the fence that I could climb over, and I just went and just watched the races. I had no idea. My family wasn't really involved in racing. My dad liked racing, but he, he, he wasn't a racer, mm-hmm. so it isn't like we went to races growing up. So I just kind of fell in love with it, realized it was probably 11 o'clock at night. I was going to get in trouble for being out that late, and um, you know, we didn't have a cell phone or anything to call back in those ages. We threw rocks at the windows or something. But, uh, you know, I ended up standing at the pit gate with my thumb out. And a, a guy picked me up through the, the, the bike in the back of his, his truck and dropped me off at my house. So that was my, my first experience in racing. And that's one of the reasons I push a lot of my racers. When I see guys with open trailers, I get so excited. Oh, yeah. I, you know, we're even doing something this year. We're going to have a special night where you get a discount. You don't have to pay your entry fee if you come in on an open trailer. Now, we did it once at Lanier, and a lot of guys unloaded out of their big haulers in, in the parking <laughs> lot and did it. But, 
it's just, it, you know, we've got to get these young kids and, and people interested in what we do. And a lot of times you see these big white boxes going up and down the, the expressway mm -hmm. um, and you have no idea what's in it. You know, is there cargo in there? Is there a race car in there? Right. What kind of race car? So, you know, I, I think it's really important that we try to capture kids and, and um, it's one of the reasons we do a lot of shows that, that you know, we'll, we'll take race cars out and I'll spend all day long lifting kids up, putting them in the car, putting them in the car, you know, get in there, do what you need to do. And, you know, they'll act like they're racing. Yep. Sometimes we'll start them up and it's, it's a lot of fun. Okay. So, so at your track, is there one particular type or style of race car that you're promoting or are there different races on different days have different types of cars? Yeah, well, we have, we have basically four divisions that we run on a regular basis. Then we have other divisions that we bring in. Uh, we'll have touring series that come in, like the, the uh, ASA uh, Southern Super Series will be there this year, April 15th. We have the Grand National Super Series, which is a, a newer series that started up. Um, they're using old ASA and Bush cars. Uh, and that, that one I'm really interested in. That's going to be Father's Day weekend. Um, a, a local racer here, Jody Cash, has built about three or four of those cars. So we're looking forward to that. We bring in sprint cars sometimes. Our main thing, though, is, is template, late models, and our modified deal. Okay, so then do you coordinate with other racetrack operators for uh, – each type of car so that they can run a series on different tracks with well, their type of car? Well, we actually have worked really hard over the last five years, and we've come up with a national set of rules, both for super late models and pro late models. And that, may, that really makes it very convenient. So a guy can go run a CRA race up in Wisconsin or go down to Florida and run at Five Flags with the same car that they run at Montgomery. We're still working on some of the other divisions. You know, you end up with a particular car like a street stock mm -hmm. is different in one area than it is in another. It's just because the rules have kind of progressed that way. But because of the national attention that's given to template racing, we were able to pull this rule package together. Now, let me tell you, there was an awful lot of... Um, of phone calls and conference calls and Zoom calls and mm -hmm. cursings and everything else trying to get, um, you know, all these promoters and tour directors to agree on a rule package. But, but we were able to do it. And, and I think in the long run, it makes it better for the racer and makes it better for the sport. So and we should point out that Stan is now at Montgomery Motorsports Park. How long have you been there? I've been there. This is my ninth year. Okay, so you snuck into the track in California and watched the baddest of the bad as far as, you know, race yeah. cars are concerned. I mean, they're, just, they're just awesome. They're great. What happened after that? How did you, well, how did it, you get in the car world, or, or where did it go from there? Well, I was always a, I was a car guy, uh, real into uh, car customization. And did you stuff. build model cars and all that stuff? I did model cars. Oh, okay. I, I, I worked for Color Me Custom out in Southern California. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I sanded, uh, wet sanded my first three cars for free just so I could be there. <laughs> uh, built a lot of custom stuff. So I always had an interest in in cars growing up growing up in southern california you kind of sure you kind of yeah. have to yeah. um and you know then i i 
you know how things happen. You get you get married, Life, you have yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, went into the restaurant business. Loved the restaurant business. Got to work for some great companies. Um, and well, that's that's a very tough business. You got to work for companies. What you know that's. That's so close to racing as far as the hours that it consumes oh, it, of your life. It's amazing. And, and the only the, the great thing about racing is it doesn't happen every single day. Yeah, and right. that's the tough part about the restaurant business. A lot of people, it's, it, it can be a grind. Um, I worked for some really high-volume restaurants. But it gave me the opportunity to do some other things. And uh, I was in Nashville. Uh, running the Fridays in Elliston Place and got some tickets to the All-Pro Race out at Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. Sure. I took my wife to it. She had never, you'll, you'll love this story, she'd never been to a race, never in her life, didn't know anything about racing. So I sat her down in the front section right as the cars came off of four. Mm-hmm. And it was a grand national, kind of a big street stock looking race before the All-Pro was out there. And she looked over at me and she said, this is the most boring thing I'd ever been to in my life and I was like what are you talking about she goes I drive faster than this and I was like honey these are called pace laps okay we're not (laughs) racing yet but she thought they were loud enough they could have been racing right yeah well let me just tell you once they took off from the corner and came flying by she spent about seven laps just digging into my arm, asking me to please move back. So she was hooked as a as a race fan. And then we started going to races with uh, with my boys, taking them to races. And uh, then I got involved with um, uh, Steve Allison mm-hmm. and, um, you know, part of the Allison group there. I was actually working for Damon's at the time, and we, we worked out a sponsorship deal. I had met him and... Uh, kind of worked some things out, and that's kind of how I I got into the sport. Just you know, going to races on a regular basis. Then uh, one day I got a phone call from Randy Morse with Remax, and uh, wanted to know if I was interested in running a racetrack. Well, actually, before that, I ran the concession stand, and I did that because I realized. I could come to the races every Saturday night. There now, I thought go. I'd be standing around watching the races, and uh-uh. you kind of forget that it's still the restaurant business, yep. and you got to sling burgers. But, uh, you know, I, I got the opportunity to, to uh, step in at, at Lanier National Speedway. Uh, that was in 2001. And um, it was really, it was very interesting. You know, I, I, I thought I understood racing, but I didn't. Um, my first night... I, I think I sat in the parking lot and whimpered. I'll, no, I cried. I thought, <laughs> this is crazy because I came from a business of 100% satisfaction. Right. And you don't have 100% satisfaction in the racing business. You know, you end up with somebody that leaves and they're really happy and their team is really happy. And then you got 20 other guys that are not happy with the way things went. So uh, it, it took a lot. It was a, it was a big learning curve for me. Uh, but I. You know, I tried to run it like a business and take care of my my customers, which I realized were both my drivers, my my sponsors, and my fans. Um, you have a much bigger customer base in the racing business, and they're all there for a different reason. And they sure are. And they, and they're most of them are Type A personalities, and they mm-hmm. all want to win. And they if they're the sponsor, they want the most mentions in the broadcast. If they're the racer, they don't understand why the camera didn't stay on them or why I didn't interview them again afterwards. So. But it's, uh, it's definitely a challenging business. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Randy Morse told me when I took over, he said, look, I, I'll teach you how to, how to uh, 
run a racetrack. He said, I, I can't teach you how to run a business. That's what you've got to bring to the table. And, and that's why our partnership works so well. Now, was the track dirt or paved at that time? It was paved. It was paved. I think, I think it went to dirt probably early 90s. I mean, went to asphalt early 90s. Okay. Is, is the, I think the way Because my was. first races at Lanier were dirt. Were they? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that takes me back to a question I wanted to ask you. Where have all the racers gone? I mean, when it was dirt racing, I grew up in Lancaster, New York, and, mm-hmm. and they, we had jalopy races right. back in the day. And we had, um, you know, we had super modifieds and stuff like that as things progressed. It got to the point where just a regular guy could not build a car and take his family to the racetrack. Um, when, when did you see that transition from the open trailers and, you know, you know I, everybody piling in the family car and going to the racetrack and, you know, racing the neighbor? Right. Well, I, you know, that was something that was big here. You know, you used yeah. to drive down... And, and go through the center of Gainesville, and you'd see race cars. Yeah. If, if there was a transmission shop, there was a race car sitting out in front of yep. it, or yep. there was a race shop in one of the bays being worked on. And um, that's been tough, because you've lost a lot of that over, over the years. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people, oh, the, the kids have ruined it. The kids haven't ruined it, you know. Now, maybe their parents with some of the, some of the big bank accounts they have. I was going to say that I think the wallet ruined some of it. A lot of it did. And, and um, you know, it's still tough. It, racing is an expensive sport. Uh, even if, you know, we're starting a new division this year. And a lot of the tracks in the south are. They're doing a Crown Vic um, division. Mm-hmm. And basically, you, you go, you buy a Crown Vic, you put a cage in it and a seat and that's it why a crown vic because they're trying to find something that's big enough okay that we're not getting honestly that we're not going to get people hurt you know okay. um right. i i have a lot of guys that want to run the four and the six cylinder cars on my track my track's just too big and fast yeah it is. you know yeah. And, and so you've you've got to have something and you know we're gonna it, it, it's gonna be an interesting year because um a lot of people are building these cars um, some of them are way smarter than they should be. So I hope our tech guys are ready for um, the challenges <laughs> that they're going to have with that. Uh, with that. Now, is, is there any way at Montgomery where you can run a shorter track? Or We have tried. We have, a, I call it the Martinsville clip. Mm-hmm. Basically, you can go down my front stretch and I put in a couple of pieces of concrete at each end. And we actually run our Enduro over it. It's a little bit tight. Um, but we are looking at maybe running some bandoleros there this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, just something that we can get the kids uh, an opportunity to come out and race with us. When we were going to Lanier, my, myself and my sons, uh, we had trackside seating. Yeah. And I remember when we went to we, the, the racers, you know, if they can spend more money and go faster and beat the other guy, they, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. If one guy shows up with a tractor trailer, you know, the rest of them got to have a tractor trailer. And we used to be able to see the whole track, track side. Yep. Then they started coming in with the tractor trailers and stuff like that. And you couldn't see across the track. Yep. You saw the car go by and, you know, it was gone unless you were sitting way up on the hill or something like that. I'm thinking, well, we're track side. You know, we're, we're yep. where the action is and we can't see nothing because of the, the trucks. I've, I've been to some, I think it was Indianapolis Raceway Park. Where they made the tractor trailers and all that stuff, the you know the braggadocious stuff, man, you had to go park it out in the weeds and yeah. you know drag your pit cart to, into the track and you know with your race car if need be. But um, 
was that part of uh, you know when you when you're starting to buy tractor trailers and stuff like that is the guy pulling in with a pickup truck just thoroughly discouraged I think some of them are, you know, some of them look at that and they're like, oh man, I, how am I going to compete with that? And then you have others that it motivates them. You know, I, I was with a, a team this, uh, a couple of weeks ago with um, a kid named Colin Allman and running in super late models doesn't have the budget. I mean, literally you'll see him buying tires and he's ch going for change at the end to get his bill paid. Uh, but he sees it as a challenge. Like he said, every, every one of those guys he finishes in front of, even if he doesn't win, he sees it as a win. It's him, his dad, and a buddy that show up at the track. And so when he sees a team, you know, like a Donnie Wilson team or an Anthony Campy that, that comes in with, you know, eight or nine guys per car. And, you know, they've got, a, they've got an engineer and they've got this and they've got a tire specialist. And, you know, so he sees it as a win. And, and it, we still have drivers that are like that. They're, they're not afraid of the competition um, and, are, and are still able to, you know, to kind of put on their big boy pants and not worry about the haulers. But, you know, I get that thing a lot of times. I need to save racers money. And, I'm, I, and I want to save racers money. But I don't, you know... I don't price the haulers out. You know, it's like I told somebody, as soon as I get a template for a uh, hauler coming into the pits as to what size it should be and how much you should spend, I'll start worrying about what I, you know, what money you spend. Because it's, uh, they'll, they'll spend it in they'll, a second. They'll find, they'll find a way to spend it, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've even seen it now in, in Cup. You know, they've, they've reduced so many costs and these teams are, are going crazy trying to figure out how they can spend money or what they can do to try to make their car. And that's what it's all about. They just want to make their car better. You know, they want their guy to go faster. They want to win. Thank goodness for that or, we, or we'd all be in trouble. You know, if everybody just went out there and rode around, I couldn't sell a ticket at the front gate. But, you know... I, at Speed Fest this year, I'm watching Bubba Pollard starting next to Corey Heim, two of the best late model drivers in the country. And I looked up and I saw like eight or ten, the place was packed, but I saw like eight or ten people leaving. I thought, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Have you never been to a race before? Why would you leave? Is it that important to get out five minutes early? And then, of course... We have a spin out with like, you know, five to go. And I see the guy because I'm up in the spotter stand and I can see him set down his chair and go running back up to the top. <laughs> so, you know, my, my advice to folks when you come to a race, come to a race and go down to the pits afterwards. Don't worry about sitting in traffic. Make sure you watch the end of the race because yeah. that's what it comes down to. And that's why I love this sport. It's stock car racing. It's people doing doing tremendous, you know, tremendous things with equipment that shouldn't go near as fast as it goes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's funny you bring up the open trailer thing because I, I've seen that in even the top classes now, NASCAR. You see the show car going down the road with a, a window in the side of the trailer so you can see yeah. what's in it. Yeah, I love that. That's love pretty that. cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It, it, it is, and it's important to show that stuff off for these kids. If, if you went... Yeah, and you're in a position to do it, I guess. Maybe to try it. Let's put it that way. If you went and you told your racers, look it, we're going to have a race, and you can't bring nothing but one guy in your pickup truck and a, a I don't care if you got to go rent a U-Haul flat, flat trailer, because I've seen cars show up at the track in a septic tank truck. Oh, sure. You know, 
the nice thing about it, if you if you crash it, you can load it at the end of the night with without any help. But I, you know, the first time I saw that, I thought, wow, I'm 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 pulling for that guy. What if you told your racers, with you know, got to park the rig at home, and this is what you got to bring to the track? You think they'd do it just for the heck of it? I think they would do it if I if I held to the gun, but I guarantee you'd pull down to the local Walmart and there'd be a bunch of big haulers there, <laughs> oh, yeah. and you'd have pick up. You know, and the wild thing now is. You have some teams, you know, let's say it's a, it's a team for hire. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a, a young driver that comes in. Dad pays good money for him to yeah, be there. Yeah. They get to the track. If they lose a motor on Friday night, they better have another motor in there. Mm-hmm. You know, they better have something or a backup car that they can go to. So in a way, we've almost made it tough for that guy on the, on the open trailer. But, uh, you know, I think if you come up with the right incentive, these guys, you know, They'll screw a beer can to the top of their car if they think it'll it'll make them money or go faster. Or go faster, yeah. What are what are some of the things you've seen at the track? And I know I've seen some funny things done to cars that that it, it when I first saw it. Let, let me give an example, and then you have something to reference from. I remember being at a race one night, and the guy had taken literally had taken fan blades off of something, and you know put them between the wheel and the caliper on his car. And, you know, it was obvious they were fan blades off of an electric motor. Somebody drilled holes in them for the lug nuts. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, he's cooling his brakes. No brake ducts or anything. He's just going to cool his brakes. I thought, okay, he can't, you know, he doesn't have the slotted fancy rotors or anything, but he's he's trying. Yeah. Well, who who is this guy? Because they sell those now. I hope he got a buck off them. <laughs> they, they have them on late models like they're going out of style. Really? Yeah, it's a It's a kind of a goldish metal looking tiny fin deal mm-hmm. and they they use them and um no his look like he robbed it off the, the fan at home <laughs> you know look i i've seen i've seen a lot the biggest thing i've seen lately is people trying and i almost think they're trying to get in other people's heads i saw some stuff that went on at the derby this year with some of uh just little things like the like the wing window Okay, you have a little 12 inch plastic wing window and it's allowed to have curvature of one inch, right? And I went up to a car and I looked and his were curved the other way, okay? Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I said, what's that all about? He goes, well, I can just tell you I don't do anything unless there's a purpose for it. And he just turned and walked away from me. Well, I want to see the next derby how many cars have you know, the little plastic turned to the inside or, you know, every car down there had a 90 degree rear spoiler on it. Mm-hmm. Well, one showed up with his laid back 45. Okay. Had he sat on the pole, <laughs> every <laughs> car down there would have had it. And, you know, I talk about the beer can thing, but that comes from the old dirt racing days is people, people, and this is, you know, I don't know if this is one of the peanut stories, but basically a guy went out, set fast time and somebody went, Man, there's a beer can on top of his car. Well, he's got something in there. Yeah. Well, it ended up it was just a beer can on the top of the car. Well, the next week, two guys had beer cans on the top of the cars. Because, <laughs> you know, you want to be like the guy that wins. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting now. You'll look at some of these cars. And um, I've even seen tours that won't let them do it where they'll cover the whole rear end. And they'll cover the wheel wells. It's like they've got something special hidden in there. And they don't. And even if they don't, they just want to cover it up to make other people think they've got something special. So, you know, our, our game is, our racing game is, it's a lot of things. But there's a lot of mental that goes in it, too. And, uh, you know. 
I, I like it because um, it, 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 keeps them, it keeps them hopping. If we have time, I want to tell you a quick we story. We have as much time I as I want to tell need. you a quick story about Claydale at, uh, at Lanier. Mm-hmm. Now, Clay, Clay was running for the championship that year, and he had his brother-in-law's car, I believe it was, and it had the old Iceman fenders on it which were like late model fenders, but they were like eight to 10 inches longer, okay? And he brought this car out and brought it out on a Thursday night practice. And let me tell you, everybody in the pits was going- So the back of the car was longer? The back of the car was longer. The front of the car was a little bit longer. It it was, they called them the Iceman fenders. And it was just something that one of the manufacturers came up with kind of an outlaw body. Right. And we had decided at that point, those were illegal. We weren't going to allow them to run. And uh, so Clay did the whole practice. The car was, yes. You, you, you decided they were illegal. Why? Because they aggravated, or they were illegal? No, they were illegal at the time. We, we, we uh, I think they were running them a couple of years before, okay. and there were still a couple of tracks that were allowing them. And um, so Clay runs the car turns the fastest time out there i mean probably had an illegal carburetor on it had whatever he could do to make every well then so you know of course as soon as practice is over people are just all over me you're gonna let him run that car that's not fair blah 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 so what do you think they thought about from thursday night friday night saturday morning they thought about that car and how clay was gonna bring a cheated up car so we get to the track on Saturday. How many cars are got those fenders on? Well, no, they knew better to do that. Because I told him, look, if he shows up with it, he'll get thrown out. What are you worried about? It's, it's in the rule book. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so he pulls in. He has this big hauler. He rolls the car out with a cover on it, okay, and never takes the car out for practice with the car sitting up above everybody with a cover on it. <laughs> so for the next two hours, everybody's yelling at me. If he if that car goes on the track, I'm packing up and blah. Well, he ends up. It's time for qualifying. He takes it off. It's exactly the right car. But once again, he kept all those guys thinking about what he was doing and what they were going to do if that happened. And instead of working on their cars. Instead of working on their cars. Yeah. And, you know, I, I called Clay one day and he, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm on a bulldozer. I said, well, really? I said, he goes, but that's not what I'm doing. I said, what, well, what are you doing? He goes, thinking about racing. I said, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, a true racer yeah, right there. Yeah, thinking about racing. People. Racing is a people business. Sure. You know, especially at, well, at all forms. You, you, you talk about the restaurant business and having to deal with people. Well, you're dealing with people that are, you know, some are, some are laid back, some are stressed out, some are just ticked off because they are. Um, what what are some people stories that you have interacting with people? Because I know you've been accused of everything, you know, short of murder at the track. And, and you know, you, you tech cars and all that kind of stuff. What, what are some stories, some family stories you can tell us? <laughs> well, um, you know, I did get arrested once. and uh, over, Only once? Over racing. <laughs> Only once. Um, you know, I, 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 know, I, I know how to act at a racetrack. I never thought that I would get arrested at my own racetrack. Oh, at your own? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We had a, um, uh, it was an Alabama 200 weekend. And on Saturday night, we ran uh, our pure stock division. 
and there was a car and it, it's funny because the guy had actually we had built some enduro cars together and and we were both working on these crown vicks and he had a crown vic and it had the wrong wheels on it okay and everybody had told him don't show up with those wheels on there they're offset and they're not right well he showed up and he's leading the race and he spins out okay and it looked almost like it was a deliberate spin out but he finishes the race in fourth okay well first second and third go to tech what do you think happened second place gets thrown out they call third place in as soon as he rolls into tech they throw him out because he's got the wrong wheels on there well he proceeds to run up to me and his brother and everybody else that was involved and i won't use the derogatory term that most people call these guys but uh they used to bring their car in a dump in the back of a dump truck if that tells you anything you yeah know, talk well, about interesting vehicles i read about that before but uh so you know they kind of yelled and screamed and i you know and i'm used to that that's unfortunately you have that in this business and at one point they were both kind of pushing and i put my hands up and i said man just calm down and it, you know it's it, tomorrow you're gonna laugh about this <laughs> and he kind of made the comment that he would be laughing about it and he walked away and the next morning the police showed up and said i had to go to jail that i was being charged with harassment that i had um physically accosted a racer and um so i let me tell you it's not easy turning yourself in mm -hmm. in downtown montgomery on a harassment charge that nobody really knew a whole lot about but uh we got through the race you know um we ended up with uh, it was a, it was an eventful day i was told immediately after the race either i go or they were going to put me in a police car and so i ended up doing that and the sad thing is it, it all ended up getting dropped and you know there was no case there it's just it, it was just folks get crazy sometimes and um, i don't know why these guys felt the need to to do it but you know i've had a lot of positive interaction too you know when you can go down to the racetrack and uh, I had a track rental going on one time, and it was um, uh, Sterling Marlin and Mr. Alexander. What's his first name? The 84 car? Mike Alexander, I'm sorry. Okay, that stuff comes to me at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, 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 I would have been driving down the road, and I would have called you back and said, Mike Alexander. But, you know, I looked down there one day, and I thought, man, is this neat or what? You got... Sterling Marlin and Mike Alexander testing cars at my racetrack. And we sat down there and they told stories. I just couldn't stop laughing, you know, and, and everything from, you know, messing with other guys to, to pouring a drink in someone's lap as they were getting ready to go out just to get back at them. And so, you know, those, those guys in, uh, in the big leagues are just as crazy as us guys on the short track. They do they do some pretty funny stuff. Let's let's bounce back to crazy and the restaurant business. I know one of the craziest things you've done in the restaurant business, but I want you to I want you to let everybody else know. It yep. involved bowling. Bowling, bowling, bowling. You're gonna have to refresh my memory. It involved short people. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, we, I, I used to run Miss Kitty's Saloon and Dance Hall. And, uh, you know, we, one day, we, I had this group come to me and they wanted to, they did, 
I got to be careful. Now this was yeah we this this it. was actually an organization that did this and went yes. from bar to bar and went stuff. from bar to so bar. So they had it figured out. And we, you know, the, we'll say little people. Okay. Little 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 people bowling. Okay. And basically, these guys wore these suits with a handle on the back of them <laughs> and a helmet, and they just. These big guys would grab them and throw them down the dance floor into a thing of bowling pins, and they did bowling that way. And um, so, you know, I, I really had an issue with it. I, I was like, man, I, I just don't feel comfortable. And so I talked to the guy who was in charge, who was a little person, and he said, he goes, look, he goes, you understand? You, he goes, you know what you're paying us, right? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm paying you really well. He goes, where else are we going to make this kind of money? And he said, it doesn't hurt us. It doesn't hurt anyone else. It, it's what we do. He said, it's either that or porn. And I'm like, well, okay, let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask, how, how did you promote this? And how, how did the, how did the audience? Oh, they, it was great. The guys there, uh, the guys and gals loved it at Miss Kitty's. We did it at, at the one in Marietta. Um, we, we promoted it as, at the time, politically incorrect, midget bowling. And I, I think we had a wet t-shirt contest that went along with it. Not, not for little people, but just a, <laughs> just a, a, a contest there. And, um, you know, it, it was a rather successful night, although the news did show up and tried to make a, a deal out of it yeah. and, and ended up talking to the promoters that, that did it. And they were kind of like, you know, this isn't really the story we, we were looking for. It's kind of a feel-good story for these guys because, you know, they, were ha they had a great time. Now, I, I'll give you one other deal on, on the little people thing. I, when I first came to Montgomery, I, um, I didn't really know anybody. And one of my employees said, hey, Stan, I'm going to pay for the chili bowl on pay-per-view do you want to come over to the house and watch it i'm like heck yeah man it's better than you know sitting at the track so i go to his house and um you know we're watching it and his wife knew nothing about racing and and she's like she goes this is so exciting she heard us talking and you know we were oh man these midget cars are just great and they do this and they do that and man i'm just so impressed with it and she watches the whole thing and and rico ends up winning the race and he jumps out of his car and gets up on top of it and she just turns completely white. And she said, are they all little people? She didn't understand why we kept calling it midget racing. She didn't understand the car was deemed, was deemed the midget, they, were, yeah, yeah. they were midget cars. Correct. She thought that they had come up with something to put all little people in these cars. <laughs> and I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, I just was like, I, I love the innocence of it, to be honest with you. I was like, no, 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 that's Rico, and he is the man. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But, you know, and, and for her to take it like, like you know, you're enjoying something that's so politically incorrect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, well, you know, she also knew that we were, we were race car people, too. So, you know, that had to, that has to give us a little bit, you know, some of us have been hit in the head a couple times. <laughs> hmm. uh, how do we get... Now, you've been involved with young people when we had the motorsports program, which is still going at Lanier Tech. And uh, we used to, you know, have some interns down there when we'd run our car at the track and things like that. But um, how do we get... 
how do we get people back? How do we get young people back into racing? Is anybody, you know, when I was a kid, we were pouring sand in the pipes and, and bending them for cars and we didn't have anybody in the neighborhood that had a complete swing set because, you know, somebody had taken bars out of it and put them in their car. Sure. Um, but I was, I lived close to a speedway. How do, is there a way to ever get back to it? Is there ever a way to, to have anything that's affordable in racing anymore? Because people, you know, spend 30, 40 grand on an engine and they, and they just kind of take it in stride. Right. Uh, what, do you, what do you see as far as our future in, in getting back to hometown heroes and, and Saturday nights and or, or we have we just gone beyond that no I, I think you still have it with your local divisions at your local tracks you know you you have a, a division like uh, like our street stock deal you know runs runs a 602 crate motor right um, you know and, and that for folks is not a 602 cubic inch no that I'm is, sorry it's a that's small a small block number. with a tube yeah two right. barrel on it yeah. right and so you know I, I uh, I think that in itself will, you know, will help if you can have some entry level divisions. I think that this Crown Vic deal is is going to be big. Um, something that I, uh, Greg McCarns, a promoter up north, has started, and and we're really trying to work with the local high school, is um, trying to get some some teams out of the high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he's done is he basically came up with a V6 car, you know, kind of a, a, a platform for it. Um, the kids work on the car. The teacher drives the car. Mm-hmm. You know, still, last thing I want to do is stick a high school kid in there. Although I've got high school kids that are racing, but uh, that I think is very promising. I think anything that you can do to try to um, appeal to these these kids, whether it's um, you know at Lanier Trackside, I was amazed how big Trackside was where the kids would show up, and a lot of them didn't even watch the races. They would just walk around and talk to each other. It was kind of a social thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've tried to, to encourage more of that at, at our track. We don't have trackside, but in our grandstands we do, and we have a, a family area, and, and, you know, we kind of encourage it, just encourage the whole socialization of it. Um, but we've done some things. We're trying to, uh, we're working with the University of Alabama, uh, we've got some guys that, from their engineering department that are working with us now, working with some teams. And I think that's helped a lot, just getting these college kids out there um, where they see kind of where the end product is. And um, I think we've all just got to work really hard at that. Um, I think our advertising, a lot of us are stuck in the, you know, you put a TV ad, two radio ads, and throw something in the newspaper, and that's good enough, and it's not anymore. You know, you've got to come up with some interesting digital things. You've got to, um, you know, try to get folks engaged. And, and look, it's, it's tough. I've got an uh, intern that worked for me this last year, and that was his whole focus, was trying to get people engaged on social media, uh, trying to get young people to the track. Um, you know, we've got a deal this year where we're giving away 500 kids tickets where to the elementary schools, giving them to the librarians just to try to get these kids and their, their parents to come out and, and, you know, maybe spend a day at the track. And, um, you know, I think we just you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. You've just re- we've got to be creative and find new ways. And, you know, I'll be going to um, promoter workshops and I'll be honest that's a lot of what we talk we talk about controlling costs we talk about you know rules and then we talk about how can we get more fans and some younger people to the racetrack um you know I think it helps that you're seeing some of these 
these uh, Wonder Boys, you know, uh, when I had Chandler Smith racing at my track, you know, there was a, a group that ended up kind of latching onto him in Montgomery mm-hmm. of these kids that would show up anytime he raced because, it, you know, you're, you're 13 years old and you look at a guy who's leading a pro late model race at 13 years old, right. you know, that wow. we've got to utilize that too. Unfortunately, these cut, these kids come in and go really quickly. You know what I mean? They they come in, they do a year in pro, they do a half of a year or a year in super, and then they're on. Just like Jake Garcia. Right. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's a local guy. He's going to be in trucks all year long. Right. And, you know, um, it's, it's great to see, but we don't get as much of a chance to build the young stars as we used to. That's why I really try to concentrate on my local guys. Um, I've, I have a champion who... Uh, you know, he's 19 years old. He's won in the street stocks. Now he's won a late model sportsman championship. And we try to utilize him as much as we can just to, you know, kind of capture some people in. He's a good looking kid, you know, always helps there. And we just just try to do everything we can, get him out in front of everyone and, and uh, you know, uh, just try to make the stars out of your local folks. You know, and that's that's tough. I got two questions come to mind from what you just said. How did your digital guy make out? He did well. I mean, we had our biggest Alabama 200 last year. We saw more traffic to our Facebook page. And um, I'm not a real big Twitter guy, but, you know, the the our Twitter account did really well last year. Um, I just wish people were a little bit nicer on Twitter. I'm oh, just, on everything. I'm yeah, just, you know, everything. gosh, it just, it rips my heart out to some of the stuff that I see on there. And, and I try not to get involved. You know, I try to use it just as a positive to put things out. But, you know, once again, I think that we, uh, by having someone that was more in tune to uh, what the kids were looking for, it was funny because even some of his digital ads that he made, I didn't like them. You know, and, and my wife told me, she said, Stan, you're, you're 62 years old. I don't, know, I don't know that you're supposed to like him. Why, just try what he's doing right. and see how it works. And, and like I said, overall, I was real happy with it. You know, I kind of gauge things when we put out a, a press release with a, you know, with a nice picture or a graphic, you know, and see how much it gets shared and, you know, how far it gets out there. And, and I, I, I think he did. I think he did real well. Did I it just, affect the did you see new faces in the crowd? Absolutely. A new, new uh demographic we we saw both we saw um yeah he's actually from uh, uh went to huntington college which isn't maybe 10 minutes away from the track mm-hmm. and we never used it as a resource well all of a sudden we're doing advertising in there i'm pushing some things down there i'll have a car sitting there the week before the race and you know i'm probably going to give out tickets even though i know it'll be close to a sellout I just want those, I want those college kids to think, man, what do I want to do on a Saturday night? Because even if you come out to the races, you're done at 1030. We finished 1030, 11 o'clock at the latest. Mm-hmm. Heck, I don't know. But, you know, when I was hanging in the college scene, 11 o'clock was time to go out. Time so to get going. Yeah. You, can, right. you can go ahead and get a full race in, have a good time and still go out yeah. and, and do it. So, but yeah, we, we, you know, and we, we got some things that Landon did that I was really impressed with. Heck, he got the mayor out to my track. And let me tell you, the, the, the city of Montgomery really didn't, I hate to say it, just didn't really care a whole lot about that racetrack. 
and I brought him out there. We brought him out there for the Alabama 200, and he's standing there when it, and they're elbow to elbow right there. And, and you know, he looked around. And he goes, he goes, man, I never understood what went on out here. And I, I started point. I said, you see all those? I said, that guy's from Wisconsin. That guy's from South Florida. That I said, all of them are staying in your hotels. They're eating at your restaurants, you know, and they're buying your fuel, paying your taxes. And it was really good to have him out there. And that's something that, that Landon did for me. You know, he basically, he basically told the mayor that he was messing up if he didn't come out to such a big event. And um, we convinced him of it and he came out and, you know, he even, you know, he even called me back, wanted to know if he could come out this year. I, I told him, I'm not sure I may have Gov Governor Kay Ivey out. Oh. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll have them both out there. It's always politicians are good to have at, at, at racetracks. So you, you've got this young star that you've been helping out that you're trying to get behind. How does he? How does he compete against the young star with a pocket full of money that can, you know, walk into the truck series or Infinity or whatever Xfinity and and how does he compete against that? I mean. Obviously, if you're Chase Elliott, that's a different that's a different category. All right, mm -hmm. you grew up in racing. This is somebody that's in racing, whether they grew up in it or not. But you know, you you don't have the name recognition. You don't have the whatever. Right. You still once you get on the track. Now, I won't take anything away from Chase. He's a great driver. Once you get out on the track, you you got to do your job. I don't sure. care who you're driving sure. for. Um, and you got to be the right person. How do how does how do you help this young person? go from where they're at right now to maybe into the uh, storm that we call, you know, truck racing or Xfinity or the next level? Well, I think the biggest thing is the, these guys, you know, they, it, it's, I can help to promote them. They've got to surround themselves with good people and they have to have a passion for it. Uh, if you don't have the automatic checkbook, that means you need to be in the shop all during the week as much as you possibly can. I mean, Races are won at the race shop, and one of the reasons that these big teams can charge for what they charge for is those cars are perfectly prepared when they get to a racetrack, as, as well as can be expected. Uh, and, and I think that's where the little guy has got to just work a little bit harder. He's, he's got to try to find good quality people around him. Uh, and then he's just got to make sure that his stuff is, is prepared properly. Um, you know, Bud Lunsford used to say that there's a thousand things on a race car. If you miss one, that's what's going to bite you. And that's why he was so successful as a race car driver and, and so successful as a promoter because he ran the racetrack the same way. There's a thousand things that could go wrong at the racetrack. You know, if you forget to fill up the, the uh, fire extinguishers and you have a big fire, you mm -hmm. know, that one's going to really bite you. And so, you know, it's, it's um, I don't know, it's, it's, he taught me an awful lot about it. And I think if you have that philosophy in racing, you'll go far with it. This is a question that just, you know, came to me as we're, as we're having the discussion here. One of the hardest driving hardest working people that i can think of in in the top tier of cup racing right now is kyle larson i mean he he runs so many races so many different things he drives i didn't know anything about him until you know he showed up on the scene uh he nearly threw it all away mm -hmm. how how do how do you how do you how do you take a young person 
and, and teach them. And I taught young people. How do you teach them that, you know, once you got it in your hand, you're responsible. It's like having a CDL. You know, if you're, if you're messing around in your car, you're not going to have a CDL. Yeah. How do, how do you it, get boy, that message over? It's, that's a tough one. And that's where you've got to have uh, constant coaching. And a lot of people don't, don't understand that a tour director or a track promoter, part of their job is to develop these, these kids. And even, even the adults, that when they, they mess up, you've got to be the one that steps in and says, look, man, we don't do that. You know, uh, I had a, a guy raced for, I mean, he's been racing, I don't even know how long, very long time, multiple championships. He lost it one day in, in uh, victory lane and dropped a couple of F-bombs. And, you know, afterwards, I, you know, I let him go back to his trailer, everything else. I called him up to the office and, you know, I, kind of, I sat him down and I explained to him what was going on. I also explained to him that the check that he had just won had now gone into the points fund and that if it happened again, there'd be a good chance that he wouldn't race with me. Um, we have to have that in order to teach these folks and to train them because they can't, they can't do that. I don't know if you saw last year, gosh, I think it was maybe the Florence race or one of those late model stock races and a guy, they stuck a microphone in his face and he threw a couple of words out and immediately realized that he had messed up. And he just, he turned to the reporter and was just like, I didn't mean to say that. Can you, can we just take it away? Well, it was a, it was a live deal live that went deal. right oh, out geez. on. And, you know, and, and he, and I, he even finished up the thing and, and said, you know, look, I'm really sorry I said that. And, you know, it's, it's no different than what happened with, with Larson. Um, look, I, I raced out and <laughs> you do not, I, I, I have to at times just turn my microphone off. Because I, I won't, I, I, I try not to get upset because it is just, it's a game. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> come on, man. We didn't even start the race and you already crashed me. What's wrong with anyway, that's Anyway, that's a whole different story. But um, how in the world, I got, I got to stop you. How in the world at, at I don't want to say at your age, okay, because I'm older than you. But how in the world do you function in eye racing i mean you don't feel not, i can't get in a simulator or anything i just yeah, or a video simulator i know the new ones that you spend a gazillion dollars yeah for. yeah i mean you can get but the com- I, I, yeah but you I, can get the complete feedback you know and get yourself well, knocked yeah, I, all yeah, over and the second place second mortgage my house to buy sure, a, a sure. thing to put in there but how do how do you even relate to that i it's, it's i am amazed at how good eye racing is because I go on a lot of the tracks that I race on, I'm, I'm on. I mean, you know, when I go to Five Flags and we have a rain delay, I'm doing 200 laps on that thing. And I can tell you where every hiccup, bump, and you can feel it in your steering wheel. You can't, if you're used to, which I was used to driving with the seat of my, you know, with my butt, yeah. um, you don't have that. But you learn through the feedback of the wheel and, and the pedals um what is happening with the car but it's no different than the other video games you have to develop the skill for it you know it's it's a different skill but i will tell you that track is exactly as it is when you go to that track like when you when you're in nashville and you come off a two there's a wicked bump that if you're too low it'll snatch the wheel and you'll spin out 
and you see it all the time. Um, at, when I first got on the game, one of my problems at Lanier, when I would drive a legend car, I would spin coming out of two every time because the angle coming off is different than three going into four coming off of four. Well, when I got on the game, I started immediately doing it again. I was spinning out every time because I was running that same line and the car won't work there. It just doesn't work. So I think in, in some ways it was tough for me to, because I, I, I have always just, uh, you know, video games. Man, when I saw Pac-Man the first time, I thought, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I understood Pac-Man and, and, you know, a couple of the other ones, but then it, it, it's just too much. And, um, but it, it, as a tool to, for these guys to utilize, to learn a track, I think it's, it's a fantastic tool. Um, just don't take it too seriously and put a timer on yourself because you'll, you'll look up and it'll be three o'clock in the morning and you're still racing. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of either hybrid, because they've run those in sports cars already, what do you think of a, Tim and I have, have uh, you know, joked about this, if we ever go to electric race cars we're going to come out with a headset that makes the noise so you can sit there and watch the the electric cars go around and hear the you know yeah i'm working on, an app, on an app for that yeah, I'll, yeah okay, I'll, i want when that car comes down for it to be screaming at you you know i'm not a i'm not an electric car guy i understand know? i I, mm -hmm. I just um you ever driven one I have driven them, and I'm very impressed with them. Instant you know, torque. Yeah. Instant torque, and I love that part of oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I watched a little bit of that e-racing stuff that they mm -hmm. did. I thought mm -hmm. it was interesting on a pit stop. You get out and get in the next car. I thought that was great. But well, we, uh, just, we just thought, you know, if, if they came out with it in stock car racing, the one that would be ahead of the game would be the DeWalt car because you could, you could, he could just come in and you slide another battery in them. Away you go. Absolutely. <laughs> um I think the biggest, I, I don't know, I, I think there will be a place for, for hybrids in our sport, and I think you're going to, it's a natural progression. You'll see it just like, you know, uh, people said we'd never go away from a carburetor, and, and we did. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, I saw something the other day that said it, it, it took 6,000 gallons of water to put a, a Tesla out. 30,000. Yeah, well, yeah. that's ridiculous. And let me tell you, if we think we have issues, when you got to start making, when you start you, making trips with the fire truck, you're yeah, in trouble, when, yeah, when you when you bring the water truck from the dirt track out there <laughs> as a new safety vehicle for Cup, that could be a little bit much. But yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some of the, you know, it's just like the new car. I mean, a lot of people didn't think that, you know, thought there were there were big issues with the new car. Of course, they've had some issues anytime you redesign something. But overall, you know, I think it's accomplished a lot of what they wanted to accomplish. Um, is it spec car racing? It, it is a little bit. And, and I don't know that we're not going towards that. There, yeah. Um, you know, what the Legends did years ago, um, I see that progressing to, you know, it's way up the food chain. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, you have a spec shock and you have a, you know, this and you buy your chassis from this person. And like I said, legend, legend cars, they were doing it years ago. And it was the only way to get control of that deal. You know, you have thousands of those cars around the country. Um, you know, 
you, that means you got tens of thousands of people's of people sitting there looking at that shot going, hmm, <laughs> how can I change the rebound on this thing? <laughs> you know, so in, in that sense, I think it, it, the spec car probably will be the future. Um, I, I even see possibly tracks having rent-a-ride cars. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've all talked about that. Uh, my friend Tim Bryant down at Five Flags tried it the other day. He's built six of the Crown Vicks, and a guy rented one the other day and totaled it out. So, you know, it's still, it's still racing, and it's still dangerous, mm -hmm. and you can still tear your stuff up and get hurt in this business if you're not careful. So, uh, but I do, I do see a spec series, um, almost what, you know, Painos did right. with their, with yeah. their deal, yeah. uh, you know, and, and folks just pay to, to show up and, and go racing. So, but, you know, I, I don't ever want to miss the, uh, get rid of the pure stocks, the, you know, the crown Vicks, the knock the window out of it, Enduros kind of deal. I, I, I still think you'll have that. And, you know, and we'll be a big part of it. You know, we do two of those Enduros every year. Yeah. And we do a four or six cylinder car. And, you know, you just go and knock the windows out and take the lights out and, you know, hope that you got enough and that it'll last the full hour and a half. <laughs> we need oh. to put you in there, bud. Oh, yeah. Why yeah, that sounds like fun. You too, Tim. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be all over that. Okay, so what would you do differently if you weren't racing promoting? I'd retire. <laughs> and what, what, that brings up another question. <laughs> hobbies. Do you have any hobbies? Yeah, it's a stock car racer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, it's, a, it's a sickness. It is a sickness. I, I, you know, I do have some hobbies. I, uh, you know, you and I share one. I'm, I, I love my uh, koi carp and my fish pond. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm big, I'm big into that. And uh, I do like to, to play a little bit with metal and, and do some... Uh, some art, that kind of deal. So, you know, you end up with a lot of scrap parts around a racetrack. So, you know, we have some sculptures around the track. Next time you're out there, you'll have to come check them out. Or, I'm sure you've been to uh, Barber. Yes. The sculptures there are yeah, fantastic, crazy. Fantastic. That's, well, that's an interesting place, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know. I have asked this question to everybody that's in the racing business that we've had on the podcast in and on the radio show, and I get, oh, the, the answers I get is like I, you know, I have three heads. IMSA is owned by NASCAR, mm -hmm. okay? Every year we have the Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta, Michelin Raceway, Road Atlanta. When I see those cars going by, I'm thinking, why couldn't that be a truck? Why couldn't that be an Xfinity car? And why couldn't that be a cup car all out there at the same time? Am I crazy? Uh... I don't know. I don't think that you're, I don't, honestly, I don't think that you're crazy. Um, I think that, um, I mean, we see it, we see it in other, uh, you know, like you say, you see, you see it. You in got the, a car that's 50 miles an hour faster. And boy, it turns, sure huh? does make it exciting. It makes, and, it makes a driver drive out of both windows. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. And, you know, you saw this year, they changed the format. Um, mm -hmm. on, on the road course races just to try to mix it up a little bit more yep. where, you know, you don't automatically have that stop just because it's the end of a, of a segment. Um, and, and I think that they, at some point, they need to look at that. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we need to see 90-some cars out there at one time. No, but you could, you, could, you, could, uh, you could have two races. You sure could. You know, you could, you could have all the cars there, everybody qualifying. You have, 
you know, two races, and uh, because they had 60 cars on the track at yeah. Daytona, and I've seen, you know, that you'd have about that many going around Road Atlanta. That's a big place. Yeah, I, it sure is. I just it? think it would be interesting. I, oh, I, I, I look, know. I do too. I I love I love that. I um, in fact, when mark I, that down somewhere, you guys. <laughs> that's that's everybody idea. else has said, yeah, yeah I'll, 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 I'll throw that to the people in Daytona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll see them in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell them you, uh, <laughs> you got I'll take blame idea. for it. You got tell Joey Chitwood I took blame for it. Yeah. I will. I will. That'll be good. That'll be great. <laughs> I just think it would be, I, I think it would bring more of the road race fans to NASCAR and maybe more of the NASCAR fans to road racing because the road races in NASCAR have become hugely popular. Oh, big popular, you know, yeah. Yep. Um, because, face it, you know, aside from that, that one special lap at Martinsville, you know, you you watch that for three hours, and, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you you know, well, we, 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 won't talk, we won't talk about that lap in Martinsville. I've ordered the, I've ordered the uh, collectible that's all smashed up on the right side. <laughs> nice. Very nice. <laughs> Yeah, somebody. But that asked, was that was because of the new car. Sure, you absolutely. You could have never done that with a metal car, no. with the the small wheels and stuff on it. You never could have. You can't do it. You know, somebody asked me. They said, "Well, what would you do if somebody did it at your track?" I said, "Go out to the parking lot and pick them up." I said, "Because <laughs> you know they're going up and over the wall because there's nothing on the right side of a late model car, right? And so it's just going to collapse in, and you know." I I'm telling you, when it happened, and, and on my NASCAR 2000 game, <laughs> I did the same move. And that's what was so funny is as soon as it happened, I, I turned to my wife, and I'm like, well, I've tried that one before. And then I thought, is this some kind of video game? Because, I, I, you know, watching it, I thought, oh, my God, he's so much faster than everyone else. It was incredible. And it, it, it'll go down. It's almost as good as the fight in, you know, yeah. in Daytona. Yeah. It, it, if, it, it got people talking about what we do. And, um, you know, I, I'm not the biggest, you know, Ross Chastain fan, I, you know, because you got to have people that you like. And, you know, I, I don't hate any of them, but he's not my favorite. But, boy, he, he, he got a special place in my heart on that one. When I saw when they did that in car and he dropped that thing in the, into to fifth, I thought, buddy, he's going for a ride, man. <laughs> How exciting was that, though? What have we not asked you that you would have liked to have been asked? I, I guess, you know, where do I see racing going in, in the future? Where do you see racing going in the future, well, Stan? it's funny you ask that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, since I've gotten in the business, I've been told that racing is dying. Since the day I started, it's dying. It's just not like it was. And you know what? It doesn't need to be like it was. No. I'm a big guy. I'll watch classic racing, you know, where all of a sudden you look up and there's a Darlington race from the 60s or something. And, and I watch it and go, man, this was a terrible race. You know, you got cars blowing up everywhere. You got the guy who's leading by three laps, you know, and you look at what the product we put on the track right now it's completely different. You know, the cars are maintained better. It's a better, better deal. And, and so I've heard this, that, you know, asphalt's dying. This is, this, I think that you're going to continue along and you've got some very smart people in the sport right now. And I see it thriving. I really do. Um, as long as our economy just doesn't take a complete, you know, crapper, 
I, I've really, I, I just see some very positive things coming in racing right now. And uh, this new ASA National Series, the Stars Tour, is big. Uh, Bob Sargent being involved in, in short track racing, kind of bringing Spire Motorsports and some of the things they do to our level, I think is great. Uh, having the, the RTA involved in short track racing, you know, basically the owners group at Cup, uh, you know, they own Racing America now. They've got a stake in short track racing. So it's good to see that connection happening between Cup you know, trucks, Xfinity, local stuff, national tours, you're, you're just seeing so much of it. You know, it, just like at Speedfest this year, you know, all of a sudden, last minute, you got Chase Elliott steps in because he wants to run a short track race. You got David Reagan down there. You got a lot of people. And, and so in that sense, I, I, where I was worried there was a separation happening a couple of years ago, I almost see it coming back together and short track racing gaining some credibility by having some of these cup stars come and race with us and by having some more national attention coming to what we do short track racing. Stan Nerson, Montgomery Motorsports Park. It is, you know, Motorsports no, no, no. Speedway. Yeah, yeah. Motorsports Motor Park Sorry. is the Sorry. drag strip. The drag strip. And let me tell you, sometimes people go there and they go, they're like, this is not right. This is a straight track. It's not, there's no turns. <laughs> there's no, there's no turns. <laughs> Montgomery Motor Speedway. Just, you know, thanks for taking the, the, the time to be here and, uh, you know, drive down. I know you had some business in town and, and we got to have you back more often, man. No problem, man. I love I miss being you, here. Stan, I, I, miss I, you. I miss this I place. Miss I walked you. in the door. It was like old home here, you yeah. know? How many years did you do a radio show here? A long time. I don't know. It just. Uh, I was on it once or twice. Yeah, yeah, once or twice. Yeah, we, once uh, or twice. We, had, we had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, it's funny. I, I tried to get somebody over in Montgomery, and they're like, well, you know, we just don't take amateurs. I said, well, I'm not an amateur. You're a professional amateur. I'm professionally amateur. Yes, <laughs> yes. So it's all good. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Our favorite muscle car restoration folks are... Year One in Cornelia, Georgia. Yeah, they are classic car, uh, classic muscle car restoration people. They got something so cool here. They have got a coloring book out. I never mm. saw this before, but I've got one of their email blasts, which everybody listening should get. You should right. go to yearone.com, get on their email list. And they've got a coloring book of all the popular uh, muscle cars. And they, it's an outline, outline design, as every coloring book is. And we, you know the three of us should have a contest. Oh, see yeah. Can, I'm going to get three of these coloring books and okay. see who stays inside the lines. Well. Nobody. No. no. <laughs> but I, while I was looking at this, I was thinking this is so cool because I could make a copy of one of the pages. Like when I built my Nova, I could have made a copy of the page and, and done some things on paper before mm -hmm. I did them on the car. Right. Yeah, you could. Yeah. How, how much more trouble could I have gotten myself into? <laughs> Another thing that I did use when I was doing my car was the uh, assembly manuals that are available from year one for specific cars. Mm -hmm. uh, I took pictures of everything, and I made a lot of diagrams and a lot of drawings and, and you know, all that, and tagged and wrapped everything. But when it came to putting it together, it sure was handy to have the assembly manual. Sure it is. Just so you don't put one... The sequence of events is important mm -hmm. in the assembly manual. Right. Uh, that's what gets lost sometimes in taking pictures. You know, do oh, yeah. I put the window in first or do I put the track in first? Exactly. And sometimes you got to do it different ways. So, And if you go all the way to the end of their email blast that they put out, you will see Bud's Garage is at the bottom of the page. Okay. And check out all the specials. Uh, we're right there with Kenny Wayne Shepherd, O'Neill Outside, BF Goodrich Tires, Hot Rods Children's Charities. Um, 
driving it home at year one and industrial depot we're all sharing the bottom of that page okay great folks and deal with all of them if you possibly can right check them out at yearone.com okay tim it's time for some thank yous yes we'd like to thank our friends at lanier technical college concept one pulley systems year one muscle car experts and Stan Nerson from Montgomery Motor Speedway. And let's not forget Jacobs Media, Bill Wilson, who's, oh, yeah. who's just, you know, passed out right now mm-hmm. <laughs> from all of this. Yeah. So Have you gotten over the midget bowling yet? Strike! <laughs> I don't even want to know what no tap looks like. All right. Let's not forget about Bud's Garage on Terrestrial Radio. Right. It's on every Saturday, uh, AM 515, FM 102.9. And it's also available in podcast version at all your favorite podcast sites. But if you get a chance to live stream it on Access WDUN, you can do that too. And it's 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 great fun. And uh, this has been great fun. And we'll be back next week. Remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up. And we'll see you next week right here on Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast.